0: Right. Praise the Lord for that song. Show us Christ.
1: That is uh, such a beautiful song. It's a song that I know has become near and dear to many uh, here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. Um, And I pray that uh, that song ministered to you and prepared your heart ultimately to receive the word. That is our prayer ultimately every week um, as we open up the word and we preach expositionally. Yes, even through Genesis that we would see Christ, we would see the gospel uh, come alive. And uh, so we pray that the words that you just sung uh, would be true even even this morning. Uh, Just by way of uh, some housekeeping and just a quick announcement, um, obviously I'm sure you all have been following the news. Um, You've been seeing uh, our governor, Ah uh, giving his uh, stay at home order um, adjustments will be taken in effect uh, tomorrow, as well as our local Clay County Health Department uh, mirroring a, a lot of those uh, those same adjustments. Um, if all goes well, there is a, a, a possibility, a potential that we could uh, meet face to face this next Sunday. Uh, houses of worship as they are calling them uh, in their plan to reopen uh, having have been given the clearance uh, to physically meet face to face again obviously with uh, social distancing practices in place uh, while you do gather um, you know they're encouraging obviously good hygiene uh, no shaking of hands and hugs we'll need to maintain those as much as possible those those six feet clearances but Uh, We have one still hang up that we have to clarify Uh, for us, obviously meeting in the public school system. uh, They had went ahead and canceled facility usage through the end of May. And so we have reached out um, to receive clarification if they will adjust that um, to match uh, some of these new stay at home adjustments and orders. So watch your email this week. Uh, We'll be posting any updates and announcements on our physical gathering space uh, via email as well as our our Facebook page. And so we're hopeful and we'd invite you to uh, continue to partner with us in prayer. We long uh, to meet face to face. Uh, And if it has never become more real for me and a longing for that, it was in that last song. Um, I was reflecting back as we uh, have sung that song a number of times of hearing families and children and, our body as a whole, lift up our voices and praise and worship to the Lord. Uh, I long to hear that once again. And so um, just be in prayer for us and and watch your email, look for updates and we're hopeful that again, if all goes well, we can uh, can transition back to a physical gathering soon. Well, here we are in Genesis chapter number 25. Uh, Very much excited about continuing to work through uh, this expositional series Uh, as Andy gave testimony. uh, Our prayer is that you have been stretched, uh, that you have been reminded and maybe even learned something new about God, about your human nature and ultimately about your relationship uh, with him. And uh, this chapter really is is no different uh we're very much excited about uh exploring and uh searching out the god who sees in chapter number 25 that is the title of our message the god who sees and this title uh, that we've selected this morning may not be as obvious as as some that we've used in the past Uh, chapter 25 really is unique Uh, In many ways, there's uh, seemingly some disjointed uh, topics that are addressed here, the really three sections, right? We've got the first section of verses 1 through 18, really uh, addressing this genealogy of Abraham, the descendants and and lineage of Abraham. And then it's going to transition down into uh, Isaac and and Rebekah and ultimately uh, the birth of these uh, sons, Jacob and Esau and then it's gonna it's gonna finish out the chapter with this uh, feuding brothers and so uh, by God's grace uh, we're going to cover the entire chapter um, all 34 verses of chapter 25 and uh, we really believe that there is there is a central theme in this chapter uh, even with these uh, genealogies and this Old Testament narrative and then this a description of this interaction between these two brothers. Uh, If we look at verse number 11, we're going to start kind of jumping right into verse number 11. Uh, I believe this will give uh, some understanding of where this sermon title, the God who sees uh, really is coming from. So verse number 11 of Genesis chapter number 25, let's read it. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Bir Lahairoi. And this last phrase here, uh, and Isaac settled in Bir Lahairoi, this geographical location has become somewhat of an importance as we've worked through the last few chapters. If you Uh, Remember back to Genesis chapter number 16, we can remember that this was translated the God of seeing. Literally, it could be translated from the Hebrew, the living one who sees me. And it was established as Andy teed up and reminded us all the way back in chapter 16 of this interaction between Hagar and God. As God demonstrated his faithfulness to Hagar and ultimately Ishmael. Uh, who was in her womb at that time. And let's go ahead and and read a a couple verses there. Verse 13 and 14 of chapter number 16 reads this. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered.
0: So similar to
1: the focal point that Pastor David brought up last week out of chapter number 24, this text that we're going to tackle this morning, it isn't about the characters that we see present. Uh, It's not about Abraham. Uh, This chapter is, is not about Ishmael, or it's not even about Isaac for that matter. We're going to see Jacob and Esau come on the scene later in this chapter, and The takeaways of this text, they don't rest on any one of
0: those shoulders. Rather, the focus of this chapter, chapter number 25, is God. The focus of this
1: text should be on nothing other than God. He is the hero of this text. He's the hero of the entire word of God. Friends we're gonna be reminded this morning that mankind, our rebellion and our sin nature, our deception, our selfishness, all of that should be viewed through the redemptive lens of God's grace. Despite ourselves, a takeaway that we're gonna see out of here in Genesis chapter number 25 is that God sees. And because God sees, he's present. And because God is present, he is involved.
0: And because God is involved in the circumstances of mankind, he is saving a remnant.
1: Because he is saving a remnant, we can have hope for this life and the one to come. Yes, out of the pages of a genealogy, out of a story of an Old Testament narrative, we can and see a God that sees, a God that sees us, who cares for us, who is involved and intimately knows every circumstance that surrounds our being right now. So this chapter, chapter 25, what is it about? It's about the God who sees. And it's not about a God who just sees broadly, like some uninterested, uninvolved God who is looking over the cosmos Now, it's not just about a God who sees broadly, but it's it's rather about a God who sees you personally. Just as Pastor Andy talked about, the God who saw Hagar in the wilderness by herself there at a spring, completely at
0: the end of her rope. The God of the Bible, that God, the God that saw Hagar, the God of this Bible.
1: The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God sees you. He knows you personally and intimately. Why? Because he created your life. He formed you in your mother's womb. And therefore he sees you. He knows you. That's great hope that's packed into this idea that comes from this geographical location, this well that has been called Virlahiroi, the God.
0: Who sees. So, what's the big idea of our text this morning? The big idea or takeaway from Genesis
1: chapter number 25 is this because Yahweh is a God who sees, we can trust that his sovereign and redemptive plan is at work through all generations of mankind, then and now. I read that one more time if you're taking notes because Yahweh is
0: a God who sees. We can trust that his sovereign and redemptive plan is at work
1: through the generations of mankind then and even right now. So we're just going to make three simple observations this morning about our text. The first is this, the God who sees is faithful to fulfill his promises. The God who sees is faithful to fulfill His promises, and before we we dive into our text, and and Andy did do uh, quite a wonderful job working through that genealogy and uh, the pronunciations of uh, the sons of Keturah. So so well done, well done, Andy on that. We appreciate you putting in. I'm sure the work of practicing that a few times. But how should we uh, approach a genealogy as we look to this first point of the God who sees his faithful to fulfill his promises Uh, again, human nature is I've had the opportunity as we work through the book of Genesis expositionally. Um, I guess I can say that is part of his uh, sovereignty and his, his providence that, that I would have these passages, but I have had the opportunity to work through a number of genealogies as we work through this. We joke internally that, um, that I am apparently now the, the genealogy elder, if that comes up in our text, uh, uh, apparently, I'm going to be taking those passages. But all joking aside, um, if you're like me, as I'm reading through Scripture in and in a text of the Word of God, if I arrive to a genealogy, there's just this natural struggle. And I think I've I've probably introduced every genealogy in this way. Why? Because I think it's important for us to remember that uh, um, there is a process that we can involve to help us work through some of these difficult and and challenging. Uh, passages of of scripture. So when we come to a genealogy or any other scripture that may involve um, uh, some more uh, discovery or some work to understand maybe the meaning of that text, um, how should we approach it? Well, I think uh, what I've involved in my own personal study is that I I typically start with um, reciting a passage of scripture. And it's 2 Timothy chapter number three, verses 16 and seventeen. And this is probably a very familiar passage to you. You memorized it as a child. If you don't know it, I'd encourage you to jot it down and to commit it to memory because it is a verse that you can reflect on when you're reading through scripture and there's a challenge or a difficulty in understanding, remembering why God has given us the word of God uh, is very important. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we see that first word in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out. Literally, it is inspired. It is breathed out and given by God. Therefore, we can realize that if it's in the word of God, There's a meaning and a purpose for it being there. Therefore, I need to lean into this as an opportunity to determine what that purpose and meaning is for my own life. And verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so there is a completeness and an equipping to the word of God. Yes, even in a genealogy that is profitable for my knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and my relationship with him. So, I would encourage us all to remember that verse and to approach all genealogies in that way. What is God attempting to teach me? So, there's three questions that we can go through as a process of working through them. How does this fit into the context of the book that we find it? What's come before? What's come after? In our case, we know that we have come to the end of Abraham's life, really chapters 12 all the way through now chapter 25 have largely been about Abraham, his relationship with God, this covenant relationship that has been established with Abraham. Obviously, there's been uh, some other characters that have come into the mix, but in large part, it's been about Abraham. And so now we have this, this transition. That is has come about. We're moving away from Abraham and Sarah. And now we're closing the chapter on their life. And now we're transitioning into what now that promise being passed on to Isaac and, and Jacob and so on and so forth. So there's a closure element here. And there's a beginning of a new transition of this promise moving over to Isaac. That's part of our our context. Uh, what comes before and what comes after? So, asking ourselves, how does this fit into the context of our book? That our book that can help you understand the meaning. Secondly, we can ask the question, how does this passage fulfill the promises of God? Uh, so we know all the way back in the early chapters of Genesis that God had this very intimate and personal relationship with mankind, His creation. They dwelled in in fellowship. They walked and talked with the Lord, and then ultimately. Adam, Adam and Eve rebelled against God's commandment to not take of the, th- the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that sin, ultimately, that entered into the world, broke their relationship with God and brought about a curse of, of death. And so, beyond that, we know that God didn't leave mankind hopeless. He gave them a promise all the way back in Genesis chapter number three that although Satan um, the serpent would bruise the heel. Ultimately, God would send a Messiah that would crush the head of of Satan. And so, there's a promise. There's a promise through the line of Adam, a true and better Adam that would come and redeem mankind. That God is pursuing mankind, and He is redeeming a a remnant of mankind to be in relationship, in covenant relationship with Himself. And so asking ourselves the question, how does this passage fulfill the promise of God, even in a genealogy? And we can see the beautiful sovereignty and providence of God. We can see the character of God, that he is fulfilling his promises all the way back in the earliest stages of mankind to not leave them without hope, but to bring about this promised Messiah, to to redeem a remnant through a line that would ultimately come through Abraham and, and Isaac, and it would move on all the way through David, that would bring about Jesus of Nazareth, who would go to the cross, shed his blood for the atonement of the sin of mankind. And if we place our faith in him, in his finished work on the cross, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved, that our relationship that was once broken from sin is now restored, that we are reconciled. That relationship is brought back as it was intended to be So this is the beautiful storyline of a genealogy that we can learn, that we can see through the pages of Scripture. And then the final question that we can ask ourselves is, where do we see elements of grace in this passage? And Abraham has been an interesting uh, story to follow through chapters 12 through 25, has it not? We know that Abraham has been far from perfect. Um, He's definitely had uh, some chinks in the armor, so to speak, uh, in his choices, in his responses. Uh, His faith has wavered at times, but ultimately we know that he has, uh, his faith has been sustained by Yahweh, by the God of the Bible. And ultimately his testimony, his legacy is to be known as a man of faith. So that's grace, right? God's grace working in and through us, God initiating a re- covenant relationship with mankind. That there's nothing that I could do. There's no- nothing that Abraham did that would uh, draw God to mankind, but rather God sought out mankind. God initiated this relationship with Abraham. He's the one that sustains this covenant relationship then and now with us. And he's the one that will maintain it uh, through eternity. And there's a beautiful hope that we can rest our weary souls in this morning so the conclusion uh, as we work our way through difficult passages of scripture as we work our way through genealogies the conclusion is this that we certainly should never neglect them um i've been guilty of that at times when maybe i'm i'm working through a, a Uh, an annual reading plan, or I'm, I'm just working through reading through a text of scripture. I'll, I'll come up against a genealogy and maybe I'll give a quick glance or work through it. Um, But I I don't really pause and I don't really ask the Lord to consider what he would teach me about himself through these genealogies. So just a bit of a sidebar there, as we consider this, this first point of the God who sees is faithful to fulfill his Promises We see that so clearly in these first 18 verses of Genesis 25 through this genealogy that Andy read through this morning. So what, what was God's promise to Abraham? If we're going to state that God, the God who sees is faithful to fulfill his promises, what was that promise? And did he fulfill it? If we remember back to chapter 17 and verse number four, God is communicating with Abraham, his divine blessing upon Abraham's life, his marriage, and ultimately his descendants, that there would be a promised son, uh, a promised line, right? And he says in verse number four, behold, my covenant, God says, is with you, Abraham, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, a multitude of nations, and so, Dave, if you wouldn't mind, if you could pull up um, our first, or, or excuse me, it's actually the second um, the second illustration that we had there uh, that describes this genealogy, right? We, we obviously have seen up to this point, we've known of Hagar and the son that was uh, given to Abraham and Hagar, Ishmael. We've known about Sarah. We've seen that struggle. We've seen the faithfulness of waiting. And ultimately, God was faithful to fulfill his promises to Abraham and to Sarah and giving them this promised son, Isaac. But now we have in chapter 25, a third wife or concubine of Abraham that we really haven't seen up until now. And there uh, really is no understanding as far as when uh, Keturah came onto the scene, whether it was post the death of Sarah or whether uh, ultimately, Keturah would have been um, a servant uh, similar to uh, that of Hagar, and ultimately it was just recorded at this point. We don't really know as far as the chronology of here is when she came into the picture, but ultimately we now know that Abraham did have this, this, third, this third wife. And to this third wife, uh, we see ultimately six sons that are represented here in this genealogy, as well as some grandsons that are Uh, listed out as well. And then ultimately we see Ishmael and and his uh, 12 line as well. And so we see here uh, God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises, uh, not just to give um, uh, Abraham and Sarah this promised son Isaac, but to really make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. Up until now, there was maybe a question of how that exactly was going to come into Uh, picture. Obviously, the generations would expand over time, but um, now that we know there are uh, more sons, and we know that uh, ultimately these sons would would spread out across the Middle East, this brings into picture um, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham to make him a father of a multitude of nations. So we see uh, there that there are six sons, and ultimately we see when Abraham uh, was still alive. Uh, what did he do with these six sons of Keturah? It says that he sent them east uh, to the country of, of the east. And so ultimately, these sons would be spread out. They would be going, we, uh, going east into uh, kind of that, that biblical land of, of Arabia. and And ultimately, we see, again, God faithful to fulfill his promises. And then ultimately, Abraham, in our first few verses here, passes away. Uh, and he passes away with this legacy that is described uh, that is described here. Um, he's described as verse number eight, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his his people. I love this description of of Abraham breathed his last, died in a good old age an old man, and full of of years. So ultimately, we see somewhat of a legacy that is described here um, in the life of of Abraham. Uh, We know as we consider Abraham through the whole of scripture, he's represented well in, in the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter number 11. We see in verse number 13 that all those that are uh, Described there in Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 13 says, These all died in what? Faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So ultimately, we know that Abraham was not able to see uh, this promise fully fulfilled in his time and in his day. Uh, but we know that God was faithful. God was faithful in sustaining and uh, maintaining the faith of Abraham. And that we know that faith is ultimately going to be passed on through this remnant line of, of Isaac. And that is going to be passed on even to through Jacob. And so God, again, is faithful to fulfill his promises. Have we seen that more broadly, even through this expositional series through the book of Genesis uh, there were so many times as we even consider this scheme that Sarah came up with to give Hagar over to Abraham and to try to take matters in their own hand, as they were tired of waiting and their faith was waning, uh, to ultimately help God in bringing about this promise of a son and a seed to Abraham. There was times at that moment that we thought, "Man is." is this out of control this chaos of circumstances that were represented choices that Abraham and Sarah would make and in their interactions with others it just didn't seem to make sense but ultimately through it all despite Abraham and Sarah despite their sin nature despite some very poor choices God is present and God sees the struggle he sees the difficulty he empathizes with our weaknesses and he is faithful to fulfill his promises with his and to his covenant his covenant people we can see that clearly in this genealogy of these descendants of of Abraham so ultimately this legacy of Abraham is that he was a man of faith uh, as we see there in Hebrews chapter number 11 then we have this description of of Ishmael and his lineage. Let's jump down to verse number 18. Uh, For sake of time, we'll just, uh, uh, we'll focus on our our key observations and highlights here uh, since we've already read through the text. But verse number 18, Ishmael and uh, his clan, ultimately they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. And Dave, if you're if you're able,
0: if you could actually bring up that first illustration, uh, the actual map. So we about, uh, Abraham and his legacy. What is ultimately going on here with with Ishmael? This
1: essentially, as far as this 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 land that's described here, as far as them settling um, <clears throat> from Havilah. To Shur. So Shur would have been um, just to the west, right? We would have the Red Sea and most uh, historians uh, would agree that that Shur would have been in this area just to uh, the west of the Red Sea. And then uh, Ishmael's would have been uh, spread and, and progressed all the way over east to really the Persian Gulf, which is where most historians would say Ah uh, this this area of Havilah would be and and that that's a large geography that would be present there that his people would would settle there. This would be known for us, modern day uh, Saudi Arabia. and uh, so this would be kind of classic uh, Middle East that we would we would know. And so Ishmael is going to settle in this in this area. But what is ultimately Ishmael's legacy. Abraham was a man of faith, not perfect, but yet he lived to a good old age, and he's known in Hebrews chapter 11 as a a man of faith. What is Ishmael's legacy? Again, look at me at verse number 18, that last phrase. Ishmael, he settled over against all his kinsmen. It should sound somewhat familiar as the Lord God foretells uh, This reality reality, all the way back in chapter number 16 with his interaction with Hagar. Verse number 10, uh, the Lord says to Hagar, as a promise, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Verse number 11, and the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. This is his description. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell, here's the same phrase, over against all his kinsmen. So we see it in chapter 25, verse 18. We see it now in in chapter 16 um, uh, at the end of that verse. So we see this phrase over against. This could also literally be translated in defiance of, right? So Ishmael settled in defiance of all his kinsmen. It also has the idea of in open hostility toward. So literally, Ishmael settled in open hostility toward
0: all his kinsmen. This is the legacy of Ishmael. He is against his
1: brother and his brother is against him. We know that uh, the Middle East in large part uh, continues to realize this legacy of a lack of peace. And so this word, this truth, this uh, foretelling of the Lord to Hagar and ultimately the testimony of Ishmael as recorded here in chapter number 25 rings true and
0: resonates true even uh, to this day. But throughout Ishmael and all of his
1: line and all the unrest and uh, the turmoil, the hostility, the defiance that is expressed by Ishmael and his line throughout all of this, we can remember that God is faithful to maintain his covenant relationship with Abraham now through his son Isaac. This is what we learn about God despite the sin nature of mankind. Despite our poor choices, despite some of the chaos that is created by fallen mankind, God is still there. He still sees. So, the God that sees is faithful to fulfill his promises. And he maintains that relationship, that covenant relationship that he established with Abraham, now being passed on through his son Isaac. This brings us to our second point this morning the God who sees. Sovereign circumstances. The God who sees is sovereign in all circumstances. Look at me at verse number 21. Verse number 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. Verse 22. The children Struggled together within
0: her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? Right? So, literally,
1: Rebecca is saying, Hey, if God has granted the prayer of Isaac and she has now conceived that this is an answer to prayer and a promise, she's saying, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So what did she do? What was her response to this struggle, this question mark? What did she do? End of verse 22. So she went to inquire of the Lord. So she went to inquire of the Lord. Certainly we have seen elements of prayer in previous chapters. But from this point on, we're really going to see this idea and this reality and this topic of prayer become a more prominent theme through the remaining chapters of the book of Genesis. As God establishes this covenant relationship with this people, he establishes prayer as the primary means of communication between this God and his people. And so this is a a beautiful reality that we see expressed here through the life of Isaac um, and through the life of Rebecca that was ultimately exemplified through uh, their parents. We saw Abraham and Sarah both seek the Lord at different, t- at different times. What we're going to see this continue through, uh, through Jacob and ultimately through Joseph as we continue to work through prayer is very much going to be uh, a core theme of their covenant relationship, a sign of their covenant relationship with the Lord. So verse 21, Isaac prays for his wife. Why does he pray for his wife? Um,
0: she's barren. This represents a trial. Uh, It's a trial that ultimately his father would know well, that his
1: mother would know well. It was uh, a struggle, a difficulty. It was a a cultural norm that that value and purpose and uh, ultimately um, the household would be viewed by uh, their ability to procreate and to uh, establish their line, and so ultimately Isaac is concerned, just as Abraham was concerned. Rebecca is concerned, just as, as Sarah would be concerned that um, she's barren and that she can't ascend. So, what does Isaac do with his emotion of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty? He goes to the Lord in prayer. What does Rebecca do? In verse twenty-two. Rebecca is troubled. What is her response? She inquires of the Lord. Again, Isaac, Rebecca, Abraham, Sarah, none of these characters are the hero of this story, but we definitely see God establishing a means of relationship, a means of communication.
0: It's important for us to call out its prayer. Uh, friends, um, prayer is, is something that is one of the most
1: incredible means of grace that God has given us in our relationship with him. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. But ultimately, the Lord has given us prayer that we can pray directly to the Lord. Friends, we don't have to have a priest. We have the priesthood of the believer. We have a mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. We can pray directly to God, Yahweh, Elohim, through Jesus Christ, this is an incredible reality that we experience in our day. And I wonder, friends, are we availing ourselves of this incredible resource that God has given us called prayer? James chapter number one, verses five through eight. If any of you lack wisdom, what does James say to do? Let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach and it shall be given him but let him ask in faith with no doubt. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Friends, when we have instability present in our life, when uncertainty seems to crowd into our mind when we don't see a path forward, what should our response, our reaction, our impulse, what should our reflex be? It should be to run to the Lord in prayer, the one who is all knowing, the one who is, again, what is our observation number two? The God who sees is sovereign in all circumstances. His rule and his authority is over all things. And so if we in our finite, feeble minds lack wisdom, what should we do? We should run to God in prayer, just as Isaac and Rebecca have done. It's a beautiful reality for us again out of Hebrews chapter number four, verse number 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of
0: grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A beautiful promise that the God who sees
1: is sovereign over all circumstances. We may not understand. We may not have an answer to the why of why we are going through a certain trial or difficulty, but ultimately what do we know we can rest in this hope, in this reality, in this truth, that the God who sees us in Rebecca's barrenness, the God who sees me in my specific struggle, the God who sees you in that loss of a job, that God who sees you in that struggle with that relationship, that God who sees you in the difficulty of that um, independent child, the God who sees you in uh, Your relationship with your husband, who seems like he could care less about what you're going through. The God who sees is sovereign in all circumstances. Yes, even in the difficult ones. God is there. He sees you. He's present. He's working and he's bringing about his will, his way. Ultimately, what? To maximize his glory in and through our life. And so, friends, it may not be the journey or the path that we would want to go through, but ultimately the destination, the glory of God, his name, his fame, him being magnified in and through those circumstances
0: that we're going through. That is why we exist. It's why we live. And so if we lack wisdom, let us go to God.
1: He'll give us understanding. He may not give us the understanding of the why, but guess what he does always give us? He gives us grace. He gives us mercy to find grace to help in our time of there's so many new Testament promises that we could run to for hope in this reality, but the God who sees is sovereign over all circumstances, even over barrenness, even over struggle and difficulty with understanding the why of what we are experiencing at that moment. So that story goes on in verse 23 of chapter 25 and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you
0: shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger, excuse me.
1: When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So ultimately, we know that Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca as his wife. So there's been, again, a number of years of of waiting, Um, a number of a couple of decades, actually, of waiting, of not uh, understanding uh, or, or understanding the circumstances, whether they would have a son. And so they went to the Lord in prayer. So the God who sees is sovereign in all circumstances, bringing us to our third and final point this morning, the God who sees is providential in his leading. The God who sees is providential in his leading. So um, I want to be careful in, introducing Jacob and Esau because we're going to learn a lot more about them in chapter number 27 specifically and there's going to be uh, a lot of detail ultimately about these men the relationship with each other and ultimately the relationship with with God that is going to be described in in future chapters so uh, I want to be careful I don't want to have any spoiler alerts or still any any thunder there uh, but ultimately what we do know is that Esau was the first to be born. Um, But ultimately God foretells uh, in his communication in prayer with uh, Rebecca, that there's two nations in your womb. These two peoples from within you shall be divided. And what was this final observation? The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So, the custom of that day, obviously, is that the firstborn son would have true ownership of the birthright, right? All the uh, the blessing, uh, the birthright would represent uh, material and uh, provision and, and wealth that would come as a result of being the firstborn son. The lineage would typically be tracked and maintained through that firstborn son, but ultimately God, who is... Uh, providential in his leading is going to foretell. His foreknowledge will give um, uh, knowledge that the older will serve the younger. And so we're just going to make uh, some high level observations in this,
0: this final point of the God who sees as providential in his misleading. Esau, despised his birthright. Let's look at verse number
1: 34. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Jacob is known as more of a a man of the tent. Uh, I guess we could almost use the word uh, domesticated, right? He would be familiar with, Uh, the keeping of the camp and, and the tent Esau is known as uh, uh, what we would typically uh, define as your classic definition of masculinity, right? He is going to grow out, go out, and he's going to kill something, drag it home. He's a man of the woods. He is a a skilled hunter. Um, He would be able to know how to handle that meat, how to preserve that meat, how to prepare that meat. And ultimately, because of that, Uh, we see um, some differences in how these two sons are are favored, even within uh, their home. We know that ultimately Rebecca is going to favor uh, Jacob, and ultimately Isaac is going to favor Esau. And it's interesting, um, verse 28, uh, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Um, The old saying, a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Uh, maybe this is the first place we, we see that present. But ultimately, uh, Esau uh, w- was a meat hunter and he knew how to prepare it. And Isaac enjoyed it, apparently. But ultimately, there at the end of verse 28, Rebecca loved Jacob. Uh, so that's an interesting description there of Rebecca loving Jacob. And again, we'll see more of that in, in the chapters to come. But then we have this, uh, this interaction between um, Jacob and Esau. Esau, no doubt, is probably coming out uh, from the field. Uh, Verse 29 describes him as exhausted. Esau said of of Jacob, let me eat of some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Verse 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Verse 32, and Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is his birthright to me. Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. This is an interesting interaction. There seems to be some deception uh, here of Jacob and his relationship with Esau. We know ultimately that Esau um, clearly did not value and understand the role of the firstborn son. Uh, verse 34 describing this, that he despised his Birthright. He did not understand this covenant relationship. We know, obviously, in the sovereignty and providence of God, that Esau was never planned to be a part of this remnant line. Ultimately, Jacob was. So, ultimately, we know that's exactly what happened. Um, but, but we have here the word of the Lord that was established in previous verses. Verses twenty-three ultimately came about in verses. Uh, 33 and 34. Jacob sells this birthright. Jacob takes ownership of this birthright. We're going to see that unfold in, in detail in, in chapters to come. But what is our takeaway here with this, again,
0: odd interaction of these these feuding brothers? What the Lord establishes will always come to pass. And this
1: final observation of the God who sees is providential in His leading. What the Lord established, what the Lord sees as as wisdom and truth and righteousness, that will always come to come to pass. We saw it back in verse number twenty three, where the Lord foretells of this reality. And guess what? In verse number 25 or uh, verses thirty three and thirty four of chapter twenty five, it comes to truth. It becomes a reality. What the Lord established. Establishes will always come to pass. Why? Because he is sovereign over all things. And he is providentially leading in his wisdom to bring about his perfect plan. Not Abraham and Sarah's perfect plan that they thought it should be, not Isaac um, and his uh, perfect plan, not Rebecca and her wisdom or Jacob and Esau and their wisdom, but The sovereignty of God is always providentially
0: leading to the end destination of what? His ultimate glory. We'll always establish what he sets forth as
1: truth. Do we believe that this morning? This is a reminder for us that we need to submit our will constantly to the Lord. Christ modeled this in the garden of the Gethsemane when he was struggling with ultimately going to the cross and being crucified. He says, Lord, if there's a way for this cup to pass from me, um, do it. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, Even Christ, uh, the son of God, submits his will to the father and ultimately obeys and goes to the cross for our sake. Friends, there's a reality here that we need to remind ourselves that Our will is not truth. We are not sovereign over our own circumstances. And so this morning, have you tried to assert your own sovereignty? Have you tried to maybe kick or buck uh, the providential leading of God in your life? Uh, The providential leading is literally us just walking in his truth. What God has set forth as truth, it's us submitting ourselves to that. And in his providence, he uses circumstances to uh, insert his rule and authority over the circumstances of of mankind and to lead with wisdom to bring about the best possible outcome to maximize his glory in this world. Friends, have you ever wondered why a life was cut short? Um, I always think of of, uh, my namesake, Uh, my grandpa. Uh, Eric Curtis, uh, never had the chance of of meeting him. He he passed away in his early 40s uh, from a, a major heart attack, had four daughters um, uh, in their early teenage years, uh, going all the way down to a toddler. And um, it's easy for us to question, God, God, why would you do that? This is a man who had just been saved for really just a a few years, uh, but was just growing exponentially in his relationship with the Lord, his understanding of the Lord serving in the local church. And it seems like that was a mistake. It was a life cut short, but ultimately as we look back on the other side of that tragedy, we see God really maximizing the legacy of my grandpa, Eric and through his, um, what he has taught his daughters and how they pass that on to their families uh, and so forth. And ultimately um, my family, uh, myself I know the Lord because of the legacy of my grandpa being uh, coming to faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ as his Lord and personal savior many, many years ago. And so we don't always understand why we don't always have the answers, but yet we can trust, we can hope we can have faith in, we can rest even in the midst of difficulty, knowing that the God who sees is faithful. He is always faithful to fulfill his promises. Secondly, we can rest in the reality that the God who sees is sovereign in all circumstances. And then finally, we can rest in hope in this reality that the God who sees is providential in his leading. Would you join me as we close in a word of prayer? And as we close, uh, we're going to finish with one final song uh, this morning, and then we will close uh, the service down with our words of commission as we look into a, a passage of text to send us on our way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day. We love you. We thank you for this word of God in Genesis chapter 25 that has been recorded for us. We thank you for covenant relationship that was established we thank you that you sustained it and maintained it that you did redeem a remnant line and that you preserved that through the history of mankind through generation to generation to generation that you are a god who sees a god who knows a god who is involved and a god who is a desiring to be in relationship with your creation there's great hope there father this morning i pray that we would remember those realities and that we would not just remember them, that we would take action, faith-laden steps based off of that truth. And so, Father, we pray that you would be glorified in and through this time this morning. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.